Good morning. Welcome to the vineyard. Good morning. Welcome back to the vineyard. That's awesome. My name is Annette, and I'm going to lead you in a worship song this morning, and then um, there'll be some worship music after we're finished. Um, but I want to start us with a prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can gather here today. We thank you that um, we are together as a church family. I pray, Lord, that we can enter into worshiping with you, that we can feel your presence this morning, that we can um, just give all of our cares and concerns to you, Lord, and lay them at your feet. We thank you, Jesus. Amen.
We thank you, Father God, for meeting us where we're at. And we pray that we do become hungry for more knowledge of you. Hungry to enter into worship more with you and to draw closer to you. We thank you, Jesus. Amen. Good morning. Hello? Can you hear me? Oh, hi. Hi, guys. Good morning. How are we doing? Thanks, guys. Uh, I am Christy, for those of you that don't know me. And I hang out with the kids, but it's been a long time, huh, kids? About nine months to be exact. Anyways, uh, what am I talking about up here? I am talking about prizes. Do any kids miss prizes? Remember when we used to do prizes? There's not very many of your kids here, but um, prizes were pretty fun, and so we're bringing them back. Uh, this is our prize of the day, and it ensures social distancing because you can, like, bat people away. <laughs> um, and our wonderful teacher, Sherry, shout out for teacher Sherry, Woo! has made copies of, like, a lesson for the day. They're in the back or on your tables. And that is what our teacher is going to teach about this morning. And so if you fill out that packet to the best of your ability, at the end, Teacher Sherry will be in this chair over here and we'll line up six feet away and you'll get your very own whack a balloon or whatever it's called. Um, so that's what's going on for kids, okay? And I would even be open to middle schoolers doing that if they wanted to participate because who doesn't love a whack a balloon? Okay. Um, and then. Also, since I had the mic, I thought I'd ask God if he wanted me to say anything significant. So uh, God kind of reminded me of a story, probably my earliest church memory. Uh, and I just thought I would like share it with you guys, if you don't mind, because, you know, I got the mic. Uh, <laughs> sorry, Dusty. Um, so probably I was a second or third grader. We didn't go to church all the time, but I was distracted. I'm sure I was in big kid service. Funny thing is I have no kids' church memories as a kid, but I do have a couple of main service memories of sitting while parents and grown-ups were doing their own thing. Um, I was probably like drawing on the bulletin or whatever, distracted. Um, and all of a sudden, one day, one Sunday morning, I kind of felt like emotional kind of felt like teary mixed with excitement and kind of compelled to like stand up during worship. And looking back on that now, I recognize that that is, was the Holy Spirit. I didn't really realize that in the moment. But kind of the point of this story, I guess, is that God shows up at church. Uh, God is there. And, um, and I think even if we're distracted or preoccupied, he can kind of get into our hearts. And so kids, I want to especially encourage you that this is your church and God cares about you and your heart. And he wants to speak to you this morning too. Just because there's not kids church doesn't mean that he doesn't want to move on your heart. I can remember him moving on me in second and third grade at this moment. So 
Uh, and I think there's probably a lesson for us grown-ups too, as far as being distracted and focusing on God. We have this built-in time, so let's make the most of it, right? And try to pay attention. So Teacher Sherry's packets help us pay attention to what God might want to speak to us this morning. Um, also, we get to do communion this morning. So um, our communion passer-outers are going around. Grab a element. Is that what they're called? Um, and I'm going to pray for us. Holy Spirit, thanks that you show up. Thanks that you're here. Thanks that somehow, magically, you're just, you're just at church. We notice you more. And pray that we would notice you this morning. Seep through our distractions, our dismay, and uh, come reset our hearts. That's what communion is. Resetting, repenting, going back to you. We just turn toward you this morning and we pray for a touch from you as we um, remember your sacrifice. We love you and we thank you for what you did then on the cross and for what you're doing today in our hearts, in our relationships, in our country, in our world. You are moving. We trust you. We love you and we thank you. Amen. All right, good morning. I... Three, four, there we go. Sweet. It was maybe just a gain issue. Uh, good morning, guys. Welcome to Vineyard. We haven't been in person in a, a few weeks. We had a kind of a series of um, COVID-related different things happen within the church. Um, so it's, it's good for me to see all of you guys. Welcome. We've, we've missed you. And for those of you joining us online, thank you so much for being here um, and joining us this morning. Uh, I want to open up in a word of prayer, and we're going to go ahead and get started. Holy Father, Lord, would you settle our hearts and our minds, our spirits, God. Jesus, we need you today more than ever, Lord God. Lord, every day we can say that. Every day we need you, no matter what the circumstances might be, internally or externally. Jesus, we need you. You're our only hope. Uh, you're the only hope for the world. Um, and we thank you that you are a living God, that you're a God who cares for us, you're a God who's invested in us. And Jesus, I pray that we would be able to continue to keep our eyes and keep our focus on you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. So we're starting off the new year in this series. Um, it's, I titled it Grounded in Heaven, 
while working here on the earth, just kind of this concept and this idea of staying grounded, having our feet grounded in the kingdom of God and grounded in heaven and not allowing, you know, all of the outside things going on to really disturb where we're grounded because heaven is eternal. Heaven is forever. Jesus is the rock, right, on which we stand. And so whatever might be happening externally, we have this internal grounding that is heaven-based. And, you know, I, I guess I, I think of um, just in this moment of the scripture, um, Hebrews 13:8, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus never changes. The world may change. Society may change. Nations may come and go. Religions may come and go. Uh, people in a church may come and go. Jesus never changes. Jesus never changes. And so he's a good rock for us to stand on. Uh, next slide, please, Ryan. I'm, I'm gonna, you guys are going to have him hear me saying this today because uh, we had a little technical thing and my clicker is not. So I'm going to do a pretend clicker with my friend Ryan. Um, this fellow, his name is Andrew Kim. Um, I felt like it would be silly of me not to, at least in some manner, recognize what all went on in our nation this week. Um, however, you're not going to hear any kind of craziness from me this morning. Sorry if you were looking forward to that. Um, and so I wanted to talk about Andrew Kim, because what he did was pretty remarkable. And it, it went unknown until some people took some pictures of him, and then it started to blow up. So Andrew Kim is a congressman. He represents New Jersey. And Andrew Kim, um, he showed Christ's heart. And I'm going to show you some images of that in a minute. Um, so this was a quote from him. He said, as he walked into the rotunda where everyone enters to go in into the building, he said there was trash and debris everywhere. Broken furniture, broken flags, coats, gloves, cigarette butts, and car keys. Trump flags and random bits of food. There was some body armor. This was probably the worst condition that this room has ever been in. And it broke my heart. And so here's what Andrew Kim decided to do. Andrew Kim started helping clean up. Next slide. Andrew Kim, Congressman Andrew Kim, got down on his hands and knees and started fixing things and started cleaning up and started trying to set things right and make things better. He spent an hour or two in that room with some of the military folks who were watching over him as he was doing this on his knees, setting right what had been broken. And to me, this was a beautiful, beautiful picture of what we, as Christians, are called to do. Um, as I was reflecting on what he was doing, I was reminded of Isaiah 58, where, it's called, where we're called to repair broken down walls, and we're called to restore streets, and we're called to build that which has been destroyed. Congressman, man of position, 
man of power on his hands and knees cleaning up after people created destruction. To me, this was a perfect, beautiful example of somebody being Christ-like and someone I would want as a leader and someone I would want to emulate. You know, it wouldn't be hard for him to call some of his aides or some of the people who work for him or others, right? He's a congressman. He could probably snap his fingers and have 10 people in there doing that. But that's not what he did. He saw what happened and he was moved in his heart to set it right. And so in his suit, it was in between while they were taking votes. Um, I read that this happened at about 1 a.m. in the morning that he was doing this. And this is how he chose to respond. And I just, I took it as a great example. May we all respond as Congressman, Congressman Andrew Kim did and respond with a heart that wants to set things right. Matthew 20, 28 says this, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. To be Christ-like is to respond as Andrew Kim did. It wasn't angry. He wasn't hateful. He didn't grab the stuff and start throwing it at the walls or throwing a hissy fit. He got down on his hands and knees and started cleaning it up. It's just a beautiful thing to me. To me, that's servant leadership, the type of leadership that, that Jesus showed us. I remember sitting through a teaching by, um, uh, I was working for a man by the name of Don Stuber. He was a, he's a national director now, but for Young Life. And servant leadership was one of his things. Like that was one of the things that he was really super passionate about. And he said when, I remember being a young guy, I was probably 20 maybe when he was teaching us this. He said, to be a follower of Christ means to get your hands dirty, to get involved in the lives of kids, to find out where their ugly places are and to reach out a hand of healing. That that farthest, their philosophy was the farthest kid out. So the kid who was the furthest away from Christ, the kid who is the most screwed up, the kid who's having the hardest time in a club meeting, that's the kid you want to start with and then work your way back. And that's serving. That's caring for those who need it. That's caring for the least of these. And that's servant leadership. Not what can this kid do for me? What can I do for this kid? And that was Don's heart. That was always Don's heart. And he taught that to us as well because that's the heart of Christ. That's what being a Christian means. And so I just, you know, my prayer this morning is that, like this man's example, that that would be our response, that that's how we respond with Christ. Next slide. But the church is this strange God-ordained thing that I firmly believe in, that I've spent much of my life serving. Um, and I often <laughs> talk about its continued existence as being compelling proof of God's existence. Because <laughs> there's no way in the flesh, humanly speaking, that the church survived for the last couple thousand years with all kinds of human stupidity that happens within the four walls and then outside of the four walls of the church. 
of people saying, we are the church, and then doing really dumb things. Uh, you know, to cite one commonly recognized example, the Crusades, for instance. <laughs> um, you know, that was not a really pretty part of the church. Um, when the church was taking money to forgive people's sins, not a pretty thing. Not a pretty thing. Indulgences, not the church's finest moment. We've done violent, hurtful, arrogant, exclusionary things, pushing people away from Christ, pushing people away from the church. Sometimes we're even cruel in our intent to be good, to be, or not to be sometimes. It depends. But we even, like, even in that, we try, and we inadvertently do things that are, are painful to people. Just, you know, as you look throughout the church history, we can see this. And America's obsession with its own particular brand of Christian nationalism, like Christ and, and patriotism, like mushed together into this amalgus thing, it's just simply, it's not something new. It's just a new chapter in an old book. If you've ever read the history of Rome, and specifically of Constantine, this is what Constantine did. He saw the benefits of what the early church was doing in their communities. And he wanted to use that to strengthen Rome's power because he figured out that they were taking care of the orphans and the widows and they were using their own money instead of state coffers to take care of people. He wanted more of that so Rome could have more money to implement military power and influence throughout the world. And so he merged Christianity with Rome and advanced Pax Romana. And so this is not a, a, a new thing. However, when it happens, there's a movement away from faith. There's a movement away from Jesus. Because when the church aligns itself politically for power, whether it be on the left side or the right side or whatever, you know, I, I forget who said it, but some very funny person said, you know, they're both wings of the same chicken. You know, whatever wing it is, they're attached to the same chicken. And the church, if it attaches itself, is just becoming part of that chicken. The problem is we lose our reputation. We lose our godly influence. We lose our witness. And we become irrelevant. Because we've stooped We've lowered ourselves to align ourselves with things that are lesser than the kingdom of God. Because the kingdom of God stands. As I started out with, the kingdom of God is eternal. The kingdom of God never fails. The kingdom of God is forever. Jesus, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the everything that was and will be. As children of God, that's who we're aligned with. That's who we're connected to. That's where our identity rests. And so why? You know, Jesus talks about that pearl of great price, right? Selling everything, giving up everything for that pearl. Why would we then hand that pearl off for a piece of fool's gold? Why would we trade that for something lesser? 
why would we give up being a child of God for some Republican or Democrat or conservative or liberal or independent or the plant party, whatever, I don't care, whatever it might be. Why would we give up our identity as a child of God and allow that to be supplanted with some political identity? It's, it's literally trading that pearl of pray, great price for fool's gold. That's silly. It makes no sense. Continuing on, I want to read the story of Jacob and Esau. Because I felt like it pertains to this this morning. And kind of, do we have our eyes on eternity? Do we have our eyes looking forward? And so, Ryan, I'm just going to read through this. If you want to just advance it as I read, that would be awesome. Thank you. This is the account of the family line of Abraham's son, Isaac. Abraham became the father of Isaac. And Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethel, the Armenian from Padan. I wanted to say Padawan right there, but I didn't. Padan. Aram and the sister of Lahan, the Armenian. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer. And his wife, Rebekah, became pregnant. The babies were jostling with each other. I love this image of like, these babies were already wrestling with each other in the womb. In utero, they were like at each other. The babies jostled each other within her. And she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. And two people from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other. And the older will serve the younger. And when the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red. And his whole body was like a hairy garment. So he was a hairy red baby. I like the image of that stuck in my head. So they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. And so they named him Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. You get the kind of the, the picture here they're trying to say, like, you know, Esau, big, red, hairy, strong dude. He's a bro, out hunting, killing things. Jacob just kind of wanting to chill by the tents, you know, probably sewing something. I don't know. But like the image here in Scripture, it's like they're kind of creating this mental picture. Once, when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country. He was famished. He was out hunting. He obviously didn't catch anything, and he was hungry. So I said to Jacob, quick! Let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That is why he was called Edom, Jacob replied. First, before you get some stew, first, I want you to sell me your birthright. Next slide. Maybe. Is it stuck? There we go. Okay. Uh, look. I'm about to die, Esau said. 
What good is this birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. See, Jacob was smart. He might be hanging out at the tents, but he was smart. He's like, no, before I hand you this stew, first you have to swear to give your birthright to me. So Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. And then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. And he ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. Why are we reading, and I, I put Abraham, I meant Isaac. Sorry about my slides. I couldn't fix it at this point. So why are we reading the story of the two sons of Isaac? Because much like Esau, the church, Christians, followers of Jesus, we often sell our birthright for momentary gain. Because we hunger for some temporary satisfaction. Esau was hungry. Understandable, right? He's hungry. He wanted some food. He'd been out hunting. But he didn't recognize the value of his birthright. He didn't recognize what it was he was going to receive and who he forgot in that moment of hunger of who he was. How many times have we done this? Whether it be for power or money or an anger or position or hunger or, or you know, any number of things that you can think of, you know, where we want position, we want power, we want to be recognized, we want we want some say or some authority. We don't want to feel like we're ignored. Or we just have a strong lust in our heart, maybe for a position. Or maybe we have a, a, you know, a, a, an addiction that we're wrestling with. And so we sell our birthright for that. Or maybe it's even something more basic where it's just that we don't always remember who we are and who God called us to be. And we disdain our birthright, like Esau said. You know, the scripture said, and so Esau despised his birthright. We forget the value that there is in being a child of God. We forget how important, how valuable that pearl of great price. And I think it's an identity issue. Anybody who's ever seen The Office, I'm a big fan. You know, identity theft is not a joke, Jim. I mean, we've all been there, right? And this was a particularly funny scene. Jim, if for those of you who've never seen The Office, there's this guy, Dwight. They have this back and forth all the time. And one day, Jim decided to perfectly match Dwight and everything that he said and did, and it made Dwight crazy. And identity theft is not a joke. See, identity theft is a massive problem today. Companies make millions of dollars a year trying to help protect us from identity theft. Chris and I have had it happen before. We had, uh, it was about eight years ago or so, somebody said they were us, and they started using a credit card that we still had in our pocket. 
because somehow they had stolen our identity and gotten some new card and they were like booking hotel rooms and they were getting things and stuff and we had to like walk that all back and it took a while to deal with. That happens. Our identity in Christ is sometimes stolen or we give it away. If we're grounded in heaven and our primary identity in the world is that of a child of God, then like Jesus did, we can keep our eyes fixed on God's kingdom. If we can only learn to keep our identity in him. Next slide. See, Satan, he's the author of identity theft. In the Gospels, we hear Satan tempting Jesus. We often focus on the three temptations, but the underlying one of them all is the temptation against Jesus' identity. Satan says, if you are the Son of God. Satan knew who Jesus was. He had, Satan had no question. Satan was an angel up in heaven before he fell, hanging out. He knew exactly who Jesus was. And yet, he said to him, if you are the Son of God knowing full well who Jesus was. How many times has the enemy said that to you? You say you're a Christian, but. You say you're a follower of Jesus, but. You say, and then they start like listing off all the things that you're doing wrong, right? He starts lifting off all the things where you're messed up, all the areas where you're broken. Trying to make us forget our identity. He's trying to sow seeds of doubt into Jesus' identity as the only beloved Son of the Father. Next slide, please. Thanks. At one point, Satan offers Jesus the whole of the world. If only he'll bow down at his feet. But Jesus didn't do it because he knew who he was. His identity was fixed. He was grounded in eternity. He was grounded in the kingdom of God. And so though, even though Satan offered him the whole of the world, he refused it. But many times we as followers of Jesus, as Christians, as broken humans, we don't stand up like Jesus did. And we find ourselves chasing after things that are not part of our identity, that are not part of who we are, that are not part of being a child of God. Jesus says in Mark 8.36, What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? There are things, as I started off in the beginning, where we align ourselves with lesser things. Why? I've done it. <laughs> Why do I do that? <laughs> Paul, I forget where it is off the top of my head, but he, he talks about why is it that I do the things I know I ought not do? <laughs> like, why, 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 why am I stupid? That's <laughs> what Paul's saying. Like, I know better, and I still do this garbage. Next slide, please. Jesus was firmly rooted in his identity. As a matter of fact, just before he went to the desert, he was baptized. And he heard the Father say, This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. 
You think Satan didn't know about that when he started questioning Jesus? Like, I'm pretty sure that event, like, resounded throughout eternity, right? And yet Satan still questioned him, even though he went to the desert right after that happened. How many times have you had an amazing, beautiful experience with God? And then right afterwards, you get your tail kicked. I've had it happen time after time. And it's rough. But the enemy knows that even though we have those moments, we have those experiences, that we, that we have that identity in Christ, if he can keep pounding at us, he can wear it down sometimes. And so we have to be strong. We have to be rooted in eternity. We have to keep our identity in Jesus and as children of God. The Father says, Father God says these same things to us. He says to us, we are his beloved. In you, he is well pleased. We are all God's kids when we choose to believe and follow in Jesus. Romans 8, 14 through 17 says this. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. God. You are our Father. You are our Lord. You are our God. We are your child. That's who I am. That's who you are. If you've chosen to follow Jesus, that's your identity. God calls you his beloved. We're adopted right in with Jesus. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit, it continues on, that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his suffering, say Paul, in order that we might also share in his glory. What an amazing thing. What an incredible identity to have, knowing who I am, that I'm God's kid, that I'm a child of God. I'm royalty. And so are all of you. The enemy, though, he tries to take this from us. Right? He tries to take that from us. So we have to be vigilant. We have to protect our identity. Now, the beautiful thing is to do this, we don't need expensive protection plans. All we need is the truth. God's truth. The truth doesn't have a whole lot of cachet a lot of times anymore. Or it becomes relative. The truth of who we are in Jesus Christ is eternal. If, as I said earlier, on the solid rock of Christ, I stand. That is an immutable place to be. It is solid. It is strong. It is true forever because... Hebrews 13 eight right? Jesus Christ, same yesterday, today, and forever. If he loved me then, and he loves me now, he's going to continue to love me. And I can stand on that truth and know that I am a child of God and know that I am a co-heir with him. We just have to remember that. His love and his sacrifice on the cross are our adoption papers. 
It's done. They've been signed. The judge, Father God, presided. It's sealed. It's good. You've been adopted. Own it. Live it. Own that. So my final encouragement to you is this. Let's stay grounded in heaven with our identity firmly secure as the children of heaven while we're doing this work on the earth that God gave us to do. If we can do that, it doesn't, you know, guys, it just doesn't matter what goes on around us. Everything could crumble to dust. And as long as we're standing on Christ, as long as we're standing on that solid rock, it just won't matter. It doesn't matter. Because we have an eternal hope and an eternal purpose. And God's kingdom is eternal. And it doesn't change. And it won't change. So I can be secure. That, that can be a safe place for me to operate. Um, as I was talking, this is the last thing I'm going to say, but as I was talking, I had this, this image that I felt like God, this picture God showed me, and that the truth of who we are, our identity in Christ, is our staging ground. If you've ever studied military, they have staging grounds where all of the supplies move from and out, where the orders are sent from, and then they enact those from that staging ground. Everything is taken together and prepared. That solid rock of Christ, of Jesus, is our staging ground. And if we can stay connected to that, our supply line of the Holy Spirit and our supply line that is the, the truth of Jesus Christ and the love of God in our lives, that supply line can sustain us and keep us going as we advance the gospel of Jesus. Bless you guys, Annette and Chris, if I could have you guys come up, please. We're going to finish with a couple worship songs. Thank you. I know that we're at a point in our state where we're not supposed to be having corporate worship, but I do hope that as we're going through the next couple of worship songs that you're able to close your eyes and really um, soak in the Holy Spirit and be filled with hope. Grand Earth is quake before Moved by the sound of his voice And seas that are shaken and stirred Can be calmed and broken for my regard And through it all 
through it all, my eyes are on you. Through it all, through it all, it is well. Through it all, through it all, my eyes are on you, and it is well with me. This mountain that's in front of me will be thrown into the mist of the sea. And through it all, through it all, my eyes are on you. Through it all, through it all, it is well. Through it all, It is well, it is well. So let go, my soul, and trust in Him. The waves and winds still know His name. Let go, my soul, and trust in Him. The waves and winds still know his name the waves and winds still know his name it is well with my soul
And through it all, through it all, my eyes are on you. And through it all, through it all, it is well. Through it all, through it all, my eyes are on you. And it is well with me. and astounding God's love so confounding appears to us in a cleansing flow of blood His time left throne in glory Father's wrath and fury in our stand for the sins of all he planned. Standing on worship, raise a voice in Voice in worship, come adore the King. 
Have a great week, guys. Can't hold on, guys. Uh, just really quick, I feel like I'm supposed to share something. So, um, I don't know if it's just me, um, but I've felt um, Holy Spirit today, but like in a really quiet kind. Of, well, everything's quiet right now, muted way, um, and. I just felt like I was supposed to come up and encourage us that, um, I don't know if you're watching from home, totally believe the Holy Spirit transcends technology, so maybe you felt it too, maybe you didn't. Um, I think though when God moves gently, it's easy for us to feel good, but then like not think it's profound, you know, when we have big like exciting things. So I think I'm just supposed to pray into that. So God, I sense your presence here. I hope others do too. And Maybe it's quiet, maybe it's mild, but I just pray that that goes out this week, that, that it wouldn't be something that it's just a feel-good thing and we lose it. Holy Spirit, keep moving in our hearts. Um, I think what Dusty said was like profound today about what is our identity, and if we stray from that, God, please bring us back this week. All of the distractions that pull us away, I just pray that we would just keep coming back to you looking at you, remembering who we are in you. Um, yeah, I just pray in case we might have missed what you're doing, God. I think you're doing something today. I just pray you continue it. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a good week, guys.